she's living and active, we pray now, God, that you will provide us lessons that we can learn about life, uh, that, that the promise from God that we will have an abundant life, that indeed will be true. I pray for Shing, for each one of us, Lord, that let this be an anointed time as we come under the sound of your word, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Kofai. I have the privilege this morning of uh, concluding the series of Rich Man Parables. Uh, we have had, this is the third one, and uh, I have no idea why a pastor assigned me this, but I understand his philosophy is he assigns uh, sermons to those who first, who need to most hear it first, the speaker, right? <laughs> So, uh, we have spent three weeks now on talking about rich men uh, in the Bible. And, you know, the Bible has really a lot to say about money and about possessions. I got these statistics. I did not check them out, but I presume they are uh, quite accurate. There are about apparently more than 500 references in the Bible to prayer. About 500 references direct to faith. But more than 2,000 references to money and to possessions. I think the fact that there's so much emphasis in the Bible tells us that it must be a very important issue. So why the emphasis? I think it's because there is a critical link between how we handle material possessions, how we handle our money, and our spiritual lives here on earth, as well as our future lives in eternity. I think those of you who, uh, just to remind you, there are actually notes that are given in your uh, uh, together with, you, uh, with your pamphlet this morning if you want to follow along. Uh, you can uh, please feel free to do that. So there's a critical link between us, how we handle money and our spiritual lives now, as well as our future lives in eternity. Handle money and possessions right, and we grow deeper in our faith and in our relationship with God, in our experience of His grace, of His love, of His goodness. Handle it wrong, and our spiritual life will suffer. And worse, we will be judged to be fools by God. The Lord Jesus himself taught more about money and possessions than about heaven and earth and about heaven and hell combined. That's the emphasis the Lord himself places on money and possessions. And out of the 38 parables that were told by Jesus, 16 of them, that's about 40%, more than 40% of Jesus' parables concern money and possessions. And the one that we are considering this morning is one of those parables. So let me give you a, a very brief context for this parable before we read it together. The background was this. Jesus was teaching a huge crowd that, has, that had gathered from 
in, in Galilee from all, that had come from all over the region, not only from Galilee, but in the surrounding regions and Judea and maybe even uh, all the way uh, from Jerusalem. And then suddenly, a man from this crowd of thousands suddenly interrupted Jesus with a request that Jesus help him settle a dispute concerning inheritance. Actually, it was quite unrelated to what Jesus was teaching, which tells us that this man was not really listening and he was not really interested in what Jesus had to say. He was there to use Jesus to help him get what he wanted. And Jesus took the opportunity to teach about covetousness and about greed. So turn with me, your Bibles, to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, starting from verse 13. Luke chapter 12, starting from 13. I know most of you use the NIV. So let's read the NIV together from Luke chapter 12 verse 13, all the way to 23. Beginning in verse 13, someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Verse 22, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. The main point of the parable is actually in verse 15. It is an exhortation by Jesus to take care, to beware, to watch out, to be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. I like the, how the New Living Translation translates this verse. It says, Beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. So I just want to focus the entire time that we have on this verse. And I want to consider with you this morning, what is covetousness? What is greed? Secondly, why did the Lord Jesus 
warn us to beware, to guard against all kinds of greed. And finally, if life is not to be measured by how much you own, how does God measure our lives? So first of all, what is covetousness? What is greed? We're not given details of the circumstances surrounding the young man's request to tell Jesus, who told Jesus to tell his brother to share the inheritance. But I think that given the, his boldness in coming to Jesus, the urgency just interrupting Jesus like this, and the fact that there, were, there was a crowd of thousands, probably many of whom within the crowd may know him, he was probably justified in his request. He may have been denied what was entitled to him. So he may be coming to Jesus because he's not getting the money he feels he deserves or because he's entitled to. Jesus saw into his heart and instead of addressing his dispute with the brother, Jesus dealt with the more important problem. What is this problem? The problem was not whether he should have more money, but that money was already having him. And that was, that was why Jesus told this parable to illustrate if he's not careful, if this young man, if we are not careful, we will land up like the rich fool. And that is the picture of what full-blown covetousness and greed looks like. And it is essentially a picture of a man possessed by his possessions, self-absorbed, self-indulgent. You just look at verse 17, and you, you count the number of I's or my in that verse. What shall I do? I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. So many eyes. So I believe the, the, the message to the young man with the dispute and to us is this. Don't set your heart on money and possessions regardless of whether you feel entitled to it or not. Because if you do, it will end up possessing you and you will be a fool for letting that happen. The Greek word used by Jesus for covetousness is pleonexius. And what that word means is a strong desire to acquire more and more material possessions or to possess more things than other people, all irrespective of your need. In other words, it is craving for more and more of something we already have enough of. So much so that we make that the focus and the center of our lives. It is as if life is one big buffet experience, right? We come into life, we have a ticket now to get, we are entitled now to go out into the world and get all the stuff that the world has to offer, irrespective of whether we really need all those stuff. And so we revolve our lives around making sure 
that we have the ability to acquire all this stuff. Right school, right connections, even the right church to go to. Covetousness, therefore, or greed, is to make the pursuit of material possessions and everything that comes along with it security, comfort, the good life, the center of our lives. <clears throat> ah, you may think, ah, that's not me. I don't make money, possessions, security, comfort, the good life, the center of my life. But this is the first lesson that we all need to take to heart. And that is the reason why Jesus is exhorting us to beware, to be vigilant, to watch out, to guard against all kinds of greed. First reason is because it is difficult to identify greed or covetousness in ourselves. It is much easier to identify covetousness in the person sitting next to you in church, in our neighbours. St. Francis of Assisi once said, Men have confessed to me every known sin except the sin of covetousness. And this is echoed by actually Tim Keller. He's a well-known author and a pastor, and he had this to say, As a pastor, I've had people come to me and confess that they struggle with almost every kind of sin. Almost. I cannot recall anyone coming to me and saying, I spend too much money on myself. Or I think my greedy lust for money is harming my family, my soul, and the people around me. We don't. We think we all have it under control. I think the reason why it is so difficult to identify it in ourselves is because there are all kinds of greed. And different kinds of greed have different attractions for us. The man who had a dispute with his brother may not see himself as greedy. He's just seeing that it is something that he's entitled to, something that he may rightfully deserve. The rich man, in the, the rich fool, did not, may not see himself as greedy. He may see himself as an astute, successful farmer or a businessman who is good at making lots of money. And now he can afford to relax because he has worked hard. What's wrong with that? It's his own hard-earned money. I may be tempted to think that I am not greedy, because I don't drive a more exciting or more expensive car. But that's because cars are not the most important thing for me. Actually, it's not the most important thing for my wife. <laughs> if it's up to me alone, things may have been different, right? But do I really need to upgrade my phone every two years? Can I afford to live more simply do I always have to buy the highest quality and the more expensive, generally, option or product or good? Do I really need to upgrade my camera when I'm not great, that great a photographer? Or that lens that I bought? What about our preoccupation with saving enough for retirement? Or our addictions to expensive tastes? Good dinners, shoes... 
wine, vacations. I think my point is this. We all need to recognize that we are all vulnerable. It may start as the right thing to do. I think there's nothing wrong with saving for retirement, nothing wrong with smart investing of our money, nothing wrong with bringing our spouses uh, or our family out on a nice vacation. But if we make these things the center of our lives, if we pursue life and we think that life consists of all these things, then we have fallen into the trap of covetousness. And that is why the injunction to us to be careful, to be vigilant. Otherwise, we will fall into the trap of covetousness. The second reason, I think, why we must be careful to guard against it is that the world encourages it. We live in a world that constantly tells us that we deserve what you want. And you deserve it now, irregardless of whether you can afford it or not. And by and large, the world encourages the pursuit of material wealth and pleasure. Eat, drink and be merry. For some, for others, it may be cool gadgets, cars, property, investments, retirement, vacations. That's the covetous spirit of the world we live in. In the eyes of the world, it is a good thing. It keeps the economy going and the world spends a tremendous amount of resources and money to entice you to spend, just to keep the wheels of economy going. Online advertising in 2013, probably headed by Google, $100 billion spent to tempt you to spend. Total advertising, 2013, 500 billion US dollars. Just to give us some perspective, huh? the entire country GDP of Cambodia, Cambodia, 14 billion. The world spent 500 billion to tempt you to spend. The entire country GDP of Cambodia, 14 billion. East Timor, 1.3 billion. I think sometimes we've got to be careful. The church can also be sucked into this kind of philosophy and we subvert the whole of our religion to chase after the same kind of things that the world chases after. Success, money, possessions, and all that money can buy. And there's a real danger to that. And that's why we need to take heed. Beware. Take care. We need to constantly remind ourselves that the Christian religion is not about helping us get what we want in life or to help us get what everybody else wants. It is about being a blessing to others, being generous towards others, especially those in need, the poor, the orphans, the widows, about living exemplary lives according to God's word and God's ways, which requires us to be unstained from the world. I read this morning's, I know we are a little bit short of time, but I think this is important. I read this morning's papers and I just came across this and I thought, you know, this is perhaps something that applies to us in Singapore. I'm just, we're just thinking, oh, you know, this is probably consumerist societies like in US and so on. 
But I want to read to you some of the disappointments that our own young people have or their perceptions of how our society is going. Uh, this was in the context of kindness and so on. You can go back and read about it. But this, this young man came back from overseas, probably in his late 20s, 30s, and he has this to say about uh, Singapore. The only thing that matters is money. Helping people is not important because the context was there were some people who were in need in public places, including the MRT, nobody bothers. Then he goes on to say the problem we have is that we measure everything in dollar bills. Personal identity, self-respect, happiness, your sense of worth. It's all linked to how much money you have. But only the top few percent earn serious cash. So every, everybody else feels worthless and apathetic. Is that a correct perception? I don't know. You can, we can, you can judge for yourself. Certainly, there are many in Singapore and in society, many young people, including many present here today. And I'm so happy, uh, Chai Yong, uh, I saw Chai Yong's vision of developing uh, uh, servant leaders. This is what we need in Singapore society, to serve others. And this is what the church as a whole must encourage, serving others rather than serving ourselves. But this is very prevalent in today's society and it's something that we need to guard against. Third reason why we must guard against covetousness. Money and possessions are certainly important to life. But the moment we make them central to our lives, they whenever they become the focus of our lives, they bind us and we lose sight of the eternal. It binds us and we lose sight of the eternal. Why? Because where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where you put your treasure, there your heart will be. Notice the sequence, right? It is not so much set your heart to heaven and then put your treasure there. No, it is where you put your treasure there your heart will follow. You accumulate treasures on earth, your heart is bound to the earth, which is temporal. You accumulate treasures in heaven, your heart is bound to heaven, which is eternal. And that is why I think Moses prayed in Psalm 90, teach me to number my days that I may gain a heart of wisdom. And that is a prayer that I think we should all pray. If we want to live wisely, then we must live in light of, of the knowledge that our days on earth are numbered. And that realization must impact on our priorities and our values in life, the choices and the decisions we make in life, and ultimately, how we conduct ourselves and what we do in life. So to be careful to guard against all kinds of greed because it is often subtle, it is often difficult to recognize in ourselves and we are constantly lured by its attractions and if we are not careful, our hearts will be blinded to eternity. 
So we need to ask ourselves the question now. If God does not measure our lives by how much we own, how does God measure our lives? I think the answer is in verse 31. Seek His kingdom. And the parallel passages in Matthew chapter 6 says, Seek first His kingdom. First, not in terms of priority. Oh, I seek the kingdom of God, but I also do these other things, and as long as I put a little bit more priority in seeking God's kingdom, I am okay. No, it's not like that. Seek first the kingdom of God is to put the kingdom of God and God's purposes and God's agenda at the very centre of our lives, which means that everything, in our, everything else in our lives flow from this centre. That's what it means to put God's kingdom first. To seek God's kingdom is to put the kingdom of God in the centre of our lives. So, let me try and flesh out what this means in terms of how we can live for the kingdom of God, especially as it pertains to our money and our possessions. I think the first thing is that we got to trust the king to provide for us. Immediately after telling the parable to the crowds, Jesus turned to his disciples and he said in verse 23, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. And he gave them the reason why they should not be anxious. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouses nor barn. In other words, they don't have bank accounts. And yet, God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And he goes on to talk about the lilies, how they grow, they don't spin, they don't make for themselves clothes, and yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And so if God cares so wonderfully for the flowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, how much more will He care for you? Why do you have so little faith? You see, we focus our lives on the things that we are anxious about. And if we are anxious over the needs of our lives, whether we have enough for retirement, our children's education, how will they grow up, we will make those things the centre of our lives. And we will not be able to focus on the kingdom of God. But there is really no need to be anxious because we have a heavenly Father who cares for us. And the question for us is whether we really believe that. Whether we are prepared to trust our heavenly Father. I think those of us who are parents can identify with the Father's heart. Will we not do all we can to ensure that our children are well taken care of? I think the similar way the Heavenly Father does the same for us. But the difference between us and the Heavenly Father is that our Heavenly Father owns the cattle on a thousand hills, who created the heavens and the earth, who is all-powerful, and He has no trouble taking care of us. We just need to trust Him. And when we trust our King, we will find what 1 Timothy teaches us. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. That He is a God 
on whom we should put our hope because He will richly provide us with everything to enjoy. You don't need to worry about it. You don't need to slave for yourself for that. And I think once we can trust our King to provide for us, we are free to center our lives on the kingdom of God rather than on ourselves. Second thing of what it means to live for the kingdom in respect to our money and possessions, give to the king. Do we give? And if we give, how do we give? We are not under Old Testament law to give tithes. We are not under compulsion nor under law to give. But there's a lot about giving to God in the New Testament. We are to give generously, cheerfully. We are give out of gratitude of, uh, for God's goodness in our lives. We are to give because we acknowledge that everything we have, the ability to earn a living, we owe to Him. And that we are, after all, His possessions. How do we give? Do we give when we have enough and then we can spare some and then give? Or do we set apart? Do we give God priority and do we give Him the best? Whenever we read about giving in the, in the Bible, we always read about first fruits, setting apart the first. God gets the priority. It talks about also giving God the best. You don't give God the blemished flock, uh, animals from your flock. You don't give God the blind, the lame, the ones that you don't want and you give to God. Why? Because we honour God and we respect God. And so we give God the priority. We set apart what we earn, we set apart and we give it to God. And we give God the best of what we have. Third thing, Instead of working for money and possessions, we work for the king. We serve the king. To live for the kingdom and to serve the king is to constantly seek out opportunities to serve the king. And God has given us many, many opportunities to serve him, to use the resources, the talents, the expertise, the experience that he has given to us to serve him. Whether in the marketplace, in the home, in the church, in missions, in community, there's so many opportunities to serve, including boiling water on a Sunday morning, uh, preparing the food so that when you go down afterwards, you will have food to eat, uh, preparing tea so that when you go down, you have a nice hot cup of tea. He brings to us people and opportunities so that we can bless them through small acts of kindness. And he assures us that whatever little act of kindness, as simple as offering a drink, as simple as boiling water on a Sunday morning, so that you don't have to be thirsty, is an act done not only for him, but to him. I think we don't miss this. That's how much Jesus appreciates our kindness towards others, as if that act of kindness was done to Him, not just for Him. 
He gives us job in the marketplace so we can fulfill kingdom purposes for our workplace. So as an academic in the university, my focus should not be on career progression, more pay, whether I have enough, saved enough for retirement. My focus is how can I best apply the gifts and the talents that God has given to me to be a blessing to help my students and my colleagues or to my profession as a whole. How can I conduct myself in my workplace in such a way that I can be an encouragement to other brothers and sisters who are with me? So that together, as God's people, as God's representative in that workplace, we can reflect God's grace and God's ways. So we all have been put in our respective places of work not to do business as usual. We have been put there to fulfill kingdom's purposes for that place, for that vocation. What that means is precisely what we must center our lives around. Each of us have unique situations, unique opportunities, unique choices that we can make to serve God in our respective places. What that means is what you must spend time thinking about, reflecting, praying about, so that when the opportunities come, you, have, you, you can take uh, them and you can effect and you can implement and you can serve. So do you know what the gifts and talents and opportunities God has given to you and how are you using them for God's purposes in church, in your workplace, at home? So we have a choice this morning to live for the kingdom on one hand or to live for the world. The kingdom is eternal, the world is temporal. I want to tell you this legend, and we end with this, a legend of a stupid servant in a sermon that was given by Haddon Robinson. All right? He uses that word. I'm not comfortable with that word, but he uses it, so I, I use it. All right? A stupid servant. It's just a legend. It's just a story. All right? So I quote verbatim. All right? There is a legend of a man who had a rather stupid servant. The master often got exasperated with his servant. And one day, in a fit of frustration, he said to this servant, You've got to be the stupidest man I've ever met. Look, I want you to take this staff and carry it with you. And if you ever meet a man stupider, I don't know whether there's such a word, huh? then you are, give him that staff. And so this servant carried the staff and went out into the marketplace and he would sometimes meet someone, some really stupid people, but he was never sure whether they were more stupid than, or stupider than he was. And years passed, so he was still carrying this staff. And one day, he came back to the castle and was ushered into the bedroom of his master. Master was quite sick. And in the course of their conversation, the master said, I'm going on a long journey. The servant said, when do you plan to be back? The master said, this is a journey from which I'll not return. The servant said, sir, have you made all the necessary preparations? The master said, no, I've not. The servant said, could you have made preparations? The master said, 
Yes, I guess I've had my life to make them, but I've been busy about other things. The servant said, Master, you're going on a journey from which you'll never return. You could have prepared for it, and you didn't. The master said, Yes, I guess that's right. So the servant took the staff he's carried for so long and said, Master, take this with you. At last, I've met a man more stupid than myself. End. The truth is, we are all going on a journey, isn't it? And the destination of that journey is the kingdom of God in its full glory. Make no mistake about it, right? Jesus will return as king. And he will usher in his kingdom in full glory. On that day, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. On that day, all of us here, remember this, huh? on that day, all of us here will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, the King. And the King will determine whether to entrust to us eternal riches based on whether we have been faithful in using the earthly resources that He has given to us to build His kingdom. All of us can prepare for that day. All of us can invest ourselves to build God's kingdom. We can be like a wise steward, marshalling all the resources the Master has entrusted to us, the time, the material wealth, the experience, the talents, and invest it in the kingdom of God. Or we can be like the rich fool and spend all the resources on ourselves, eating, drinking, and being married. The choice is ours, but the consequences are eternal. The question for us this morning is, what will you choose? May I invite the uh, musicians uh, and Tim to come up and lead us in a response song. And I invite you to stand as we sing this together. And later, we pray together in a, in a prayer of uh, dedication so that we can afresh, anew, rededicate ourselves to live for the kingdom of God.
pray together. Heavenly Father, we bow before you this morning, acknowledging that you are not only the King of Kings, but also our King, our Majesty. We praise you and we thank you for bringing us into your kingdom. And though we have done nothing to deserve a place in your kingdom, you have called us and you have chosen us to be a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for your own possession, to declare your glory, your goodness, your praises. And so in response to your grace and to your love, and by the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us, we lay our lives, our all, before your throne. Because we know we are no longer our own. We want to live to serve your majesty, to build your kingdom. Grant us humility and trust so that you can mold us like a potter molding clay into beautiful vessels for your use. Grant to us the power of the Holy Spirit to establish the work of our hands so that ordinary acts of service may be transformed to bear eternal fruits. And may your favour continue to rest on this church so that every generation will see your work and declare your glory. In Jesus' name and for His sake we pray. Amen.
Oke okay, ah, ngomong tanya ah. <laughs> okay, okay, keyboard. Okay, keyboard does the the intro. Okay, then after when the keyboard change melody, you do one bar. Then after that, uh, everybody come in. After that, immediately. So everybody come in is the loud one, right? Can can you try one more time? Can ah. So so two bars of the intro, then change melody, then everybody come in. Everybody coming part. So that one three times, then the last one E minor D C. Okay, one more time. Uh, let's let's uh, stop. Man, uh, okay, everybody okay? Okay, okay let's uh, go behind and pray.
Okay. Uh, good afternoon, everybody. Uh, good morning, actually. Uh, my name is Ryan, and, and we are um, about to uh, worship God uh, with, uh, with a, a set of songs. And, and I just want to invite you all to, to worship with us, uh, even if you are here for the first time, even if you haven't been to church before. Uh, yeah, so, so can I invite you all to stand on your feet and clap along with me. Let's go. Okay, it's, it, it's going to be fast, but it's not about hype. Okay, it's about praising God for who He is. It's about having passion because of who He is. Rising, rising, and I feel my heart sing this praises, and our Lord and King, the wonder, the wonder, the majesty, the welcome, the King of glory in every Every tongue and tongue, every land will sing your praise to the end of time. We'll sing the majesty, all majesty, all majesty, into the God of creation, all majesty, and God of all generations. Is this anthem we sing unto the God of all nations? All majesty, we sing, sing rising, rising. I feel my heart sing. Jesus, this praises, and our Lord and King, the the majesty Welcome The King of glory And every time and time And every land will sing Your praise to the end of time We'll sing The majesty yeah. Oh man to the God of creation, of majesty, and God of all generations, this we sing, and to the God of all nations, of majesty, we sing. Majesty, and all majesty, and all majesty. 
you away from us nothing on this earth can take you away from us and father right now today we just just so amazed just so so in awe of you and father right now we stand we stand at your marvelous power your marvelous love your wonderful love and right now father we just want to worship you father 
It's simple, Father. It's simple. It's not complicated, Father. We just want to stand here and exalt you. We want to stand here and praise your name because you are God. The God who made everything and the God who loves us so much. Yes, God.
Your love, whoa, whoa, whoa. 
So pull me a little closer and take me a little deeper. I want to know your heart. Yes, God, it's our prayer. Because your love is so much sweeter than anything I've tasted. I want to know your heart. I want to know your heart. So pull me a little closer. Take me a little deeper. I want to know your heart. I want to know your heart. Your love is so much sweeter than anything I've tasted. I want to know Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for your love that is demonstrated at the cross. And each day, Father, that we are alive, we are thankful that God will give us life. And we're thankful for what you have done for us. And today, Lord, as we celebrate, Father, we celebrate your presence. We celebrate, we give thanks for your love. May your presence fill this place as we dedicate our work there and boys brigade to you. Be with our midst, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' most precious name. Amen. Please be seated. Can we have the lights? Good afternoon. Welcome to our special Sunday service. It's a special Sunday service because we are dedicating our 39th company uh, to the Lord. And also, we are very grateful to the Lord for this opportunity to serve and to work with uh, Swiss Cottage Secondary School. Um, each time, excuse me for each time when the officers, myself, as well as the volunteers, able to step into the school, I count it a great privilege. Why? Because here, there was an open opportunity for us to develop, to influence, to bless the boys. Many of us want to connect with the teenagers, but find it very difficult. But here, the boys' hearts are open. Why? Because of the environment, because of the company, because of the program, because of the people. We can help them, to guide them, to make disciples of all nations. So we are so blessed uh, to be able to involve in this ministry. And glad that today we can dedicate the boys and the, the helpers, the officers, the primers, the CE teachers to the Lord. Do you know how long have we been existing, Boys Brigade, including the primary school time, the chief primary school, and then plus the Swiss Cottage? Do you know how long? How many years? Anyone make a guess? How many years? 27th year. Okay, 27th year. Uh, I think it's older than some of you, most of you. So, we're going to watch a slideshow, a glimpse of what the, the work of the Boys Brigade. Uh, let's sit back and then we'll play the video and then uh, to have you have a glimpse of what we did in the past.
Thanks. I suspect this uh, slide show has been done by Pierre. Looks like his face appeared many, many times. <laughs> no, thanks. Now we will hear a testimony uh, from a primer. Eugene, a uh, primer is someone that finished uh, SEC 4, graduate to either the JC or the police or elsewhere, and then uh, they come back to continue to serve. Uh, let's welcome uh, Eugene. Let's put our hands together. Good morning, members of the congregation, officers, teachers, and boys. My name is Eugene Ng, a boy of the graduated batch of 2013, and now a primer serving in the 39th company. My BBA experience has been very enriching, with many ups and downs, meeting people with diverse characters and talents. Through my four years as a boy, I've gone through situations that I would most likely not have experienced in other CCAs. I've learned invaluable lessons and met fine young gentlemen that I'll never forget. I shall focus on three main learning takeaways today. My first important learning point from BB is being an effective and respected leader. I was assigned the role of leading and taking care of all the boys, as well as to plan and oversee major events and camps. I've learned how to delegate tasks according to the talents my leaders possess, and indefinitely improve my public speaking skills, so I will not be afraid in situations like this. However, my main takeaway as a leader is to care for all the boys, and encouragement is more effective than scolding when faced with obstacles to spur them on. Secondly, I would like to I learned how to take I learned how to step off my comfort zone. Before I joined the 39th company, I never did clean up the mess I left behind. I did not like the idea of getting my hands dirty. However, my perspective changed after I joined the boys' brigade. Initially, I was forced into cleaning up my own mess. But as time passed, it did not matter whether the mess was created by me. I cleaned rubbish such as dirt and rice grains from tables, benches, and floors, as well as taking out the trash. In addition, I've also learned how to take the initiative, not to demand for change, but to be the change instead. When help is needed, we will provide help to the best of our ability as well. The next most important of all, I've learned the value of brotherhood. Being blessed with a wonderful batch of fine young gentlemen, seated there, we've managed to overcome most challenges the seniors and officers threw at us. Over time, due to our close bonds, our perspective of challenges soon turned into fun activities, which was a piece of cake. This was due to our never-say-die attitude. An important factor was due to our companionship with our fellow batchmates. Even if the task was too difficult to accomplish, we pulled through as one due to our constant peer encouragement. We pushed on as we knew that we were all in the battle together, knowing that we would have one another behind our backs, supporting each, us, supporting each of us as we continue our journey. I place all my trust in them, and I know that they will never fail me, no matter what. I feel more secure and comfortable when they're around me. A few of them are present today. Looking back, I wish I could turn back the time and relieve those enjoyable moments once again. Although we are all in different schools now, I believe that our trust will never falter. I would like to thank God for His guidance and blessing 
facing certain important people in my life. I also would like to thank the church for your constant prayers, manpower and funds, and letting us stay over in preparation for the competitions. I would also like to thank the school, for teachers and the compound, and the support for the 39th company. And I also like to thank the parents of the boys for your constant support, and for the boys of the company, uh, trusting your sons in us. I would also like to thank the officers as well, spending valuable time and effort on us, tolerating of most of our nonsense. Lastly, I would like to thank the boys for making the 39th company ultimately possible. To end off, just some advice to the boys. Cherish your time before it passes. Build lasting friendships to those seated next to you and that you, as those, will be your closest friends for the many years to come. Thank you. Look at his confidence, okay? I'm so proud of you. Um, <clears throat> this morning, uh, we have a captain's handover. Our past acting captain uh, is uh, Samuel Lim. He's a teacher, but he has moved on to uh, further studies, and then uh, he has to hand over the captaincy. He has been with our 39 company for the past nine years. He served as officers, then, then CEO, then the teacher in charge, and then acting uh, captain. So right now, we have a new captain that's taking over. That is Lee Chaeyong. Yes, um, let me just say something before he... Maybe just come over. Let's try. <clears throat> um, many, many years ago, Chai Yong was seated around here as a sec one boy, then come back as sec two, sec three, sec four, sec five. He did not know the Lord, and then in the process, he get to know the Lord, and he grow. From I heard last time, a very timid guy lack of self-confidence to today, a muscular guy, such a smart guy and handsome and available. <laughs> and today, he's going to share with us as a new captain, acting captain. Why acting is not because he's just, the, uh, just act, acting because he has not completed his training. Once he completed captain's training, then he'll be a full-fledged captain. So he's going to share with us the visions of our boys' brigade. And let's uh, give another round of applause to Lee Chai Yong. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, thank you, Pastor. Why acting is because we always have to act. But that's not true. Lah. Okay, just a short introduction of myself. If you don't know me, I'm Zai Yong. So, from Boys Brigade, from Sis, and from the church. If you're, the guys don't know me, means that you have not played enough soccer. So, you need to go and play more soccer together with us. Okay? Yeah. What makes me take up this challenge to become the captain of the 39 company is... Basically, of two reasons that happened to me during my last year of study, which is what God had so-called impact on me and passed down a message to me myself. And also, due to recent year, because before I go further, because I'm in my career or my profession is in the SAF, is in the armed forces. Uh, yes, so <laughs> Singapore military, okay? And my camp is in Changi. My school is in Pukipato. Uh, so it's hard for me to travel up and down. But thanks to God that this year, I'm posted out from Changi. I'm no longer staying in Changi anymore. I went to 
Kranji camp, which is in UT, nearer to home in a way. So nearer to home means nearer to school. Means that I've got more time for you guys. Mm. Uh, so be happy for me. Eh? <laughs> they enjoy my fun challenges most of the time. Okay? Yeah. And due to all these changes, I believe not because by coincidence, it's because of God's uh, guidance and also God's grace. That's why I decided to take up the challenge to take up this position of the acting captain and take over the company. 